This episode of Proof of Decentralization is brought to you by the Tornado Cash community. Notice I say the Tornado Cash community because it's not brought to you by the company Tornado Cash. It's not brought to you by the founders of Tornado Cash. It's brought to you by the governance community of Tornado Cash. Why does that matter? Well, here's why. And this is going to be a weird ad, <laughs> but let's just get it out there. The people behind the official Tornado Cash website recently implemented a sanctions list so that it, their official website would block anybody who's on the sanctions list from using Tornado Cash. This wasn't run by the community. This was a unilateral decision by the people that run the website. It doesn't affect anything on chain. It doesn't affect the smart contracts. It only affects the user interface that's hosted and run by the Tornado Cash founders. The Tornado Cash smart contracts are still open, still decentralized, still trustless, still immutable. They can never be modified by anybody as long as Ethereum exists. The Tornado Cash community is the one that's supporting this effort to get the word out there that privacy is a human fight. And they are the ones who are sponsoring this episode. And this episode's guest is Darren Langers, the general manager of Rocket Pool, which is a liquid staking solution for Ethereum. We get into a lot of the interesting issues that are happening around staking for ETH2. I hope you enjoy it. I am honored to be joined by Darren Langers, who's the general manager of Rocket Pool. Which, um, is it fair to, would you summarize it as an ETH2 staking solution? Is that basically how you promote Rocket Pool? Yeah, so we're basically a um, decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. That's that's kind of how we're defined. Okay. Um, we can we can kind of go into that a little bit, but um, essentially yeah. our, our goal is to democratize Ethereum staking. So make it accessible to everybody and reduce those barriers of entry so that you know, everyone can be involved um, in securing Ethereum um, and obviously earning the kind of rewards thereof. That's great. That's a great summary. Uh, the reason I reached out to you to chat was because it's becoming a bigger and bigger story lately about ETH2 and ETH staking. And I feel like most people that are staking ETH now don't even know what ETH2 is or why they're staking they're just looking for their for the yield right yeah and um more and more um we're seeing liquid staking basically i mean i don't know what the numbers are as far as percentage of liquid versus non but it's got to be massively in favor of liquid right like what is it it's got to be over 90 percent, right is it over is it that high uh of the uh i don't i don't know i don't know if it's maybe it's getting it's getting very very close uh, okay, it's, it's it's very high. I haven't checked. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about that too because non-liquid staking takes so much work mm. um, that people just don't understand. But um, maybe first it would be good. And the reason I was saying the reason I reached out to you is because Rocket Pool is kind of um, a distant second, I believe, in the liquid staking space. I'm not even sure if there's anybody between Rocket Pool and Lido at this point. But Lido just hit like $20 billion worth of ETH staked, mm. which probably today is more like $19 billion mm. after um, our little mini price uh, crash today. <laughs> yeah, but, um, <laughs> well, you were sleeping. Or, uh, you were probably <laughs> You're in Australia. Was, blissfully unaware. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in bed. We dropped about like a 5-8% or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and the other thing that I keep hearing and I want to talk to you more about is that Rocket Pool has a real commitment to decentralization and I'm not getting that sense from Lido. So I just want to talk mm-hmm. through some of those things. But first, maybe it would be good if you just give like a brief summary of what ETH2 staking is and why it's happening and why it's important for people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ethereum staking is... Uh, so they're, they're kind of dropping the ETH2 thing, um, but Ethereum staking in general is participating in the proof of stake system. So uh, Ethereum is moving from proof of work, uh, which um, involves um, kind of miners um, with uh, essentially um, kind of graphics cards and, and, and that sort of thing, um, to using proof of stake, which um, has some significant benefits, um, but they're, they're, they're moving towards proof of stake. 
And part of that process is that you can, um, anyone that has ETH um, can stake their ETH and earn uh, rewards for um, essentially validating the, the chain. So um, you're doing performing a job for the, the blockchain, for Ethereum, participating in its security, um, you get kind of those rewards um, based on that. Now, uh, as you said, there's 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 quite there's a bit of a barrier of entry into it at the moment. So that currently you need 32 ether as like the deposit, um, and it's exactly 32 ether. Um, you need 32 ether. You need the technical knowledge to run a run a, an Ethereum node, um, and Ethereum node and um, and so, yeah, the barrier of entry is quite high. So what we are doing is we are lowering those barrier of entries. So with Rocket Pool, you can actually stake with less than 32 ETH. Um, so you actually need 16 um, plus some RPL collateral, which is our token. And you um, so that we've already lowered that collateral requirement. We've also made it easier from a uh, technology perspective. So we... Uh, we've actually got this thing called our smart node stack, which makes spinning up an Ethereum node super simple. Um, so I, I, it's like three commands. Um, so I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. So it's really, really good. Yeah. So you mentioned the 32 ETH requirement, um, which is, you know, like a year ago, uh, everybody was saying, oh, it's only, you know, hey, right now, 32 ETH is only, you know, Five thousand, ten thousand dollars, whatever it was. Right. Um, you know, hey, it's it's cheap to get a full node right now. Um, you're gonna need thirty two ETH to do it. That was before liquid staking sort of came along and blew the lid off of it, right? So, the I guess the biggest thing with liquid staking is what you're getting at is you don't have there's no minimum that you need because you're not actually running the node. You're you're giving your ETH, you're delegating it in a way to to Rocket Pool, to Lido, to whoever. And then you guys are running the nodes on behalf of the people who have deposited their ETH, right? Yeah, I should I should give you the I should give you the full picture of, of kind of how Rocket Pool works. So, um, Rocket Pool is there's kind of two sides to Rocket Pool. There's like the demand side, there's the liquid staking side, and then there is the node operator side. So you can actually stake um, Ether with Rocket Pool in two ways. So you can do it as a node operator, which is what I was saying before around um, you provide 16 ETH plus some RPL collateral and you, you run a node yourself. Um, and we've obviously made that process a lot a lot simpler. Then on the other side, because it's 16 ETH from node operators, the other 16 ETH comes from liquid stakers. So um, when you um, uh, when you d- uh, deposit, well, so when you swap uh, ETH for our RETH liquid staking token, your ETH essentially goes into a big pool, um, uh, which is then um, uh, matched with node operators as they come online. Um, they spin up um, validators and it matches uh, um, the 16 plus 16 to make the, the 32. So that's that's essentially how it works. And with liquid staking, liquid staking is by far the easiest way to stake your ETH, which is why it's so popular. Um, so it is essentially just a, a token swap so you, you swap ETH for, um, in our case, RETH, which is our liquid staking token, and you are you know automatically accruing those those rewards, which I think are just under four percent at the moment. Um, but with the merge coming, that that's going to change uh, quite considerably. That that yield is coming uh, from the Ethereum. That I guess not. ETH2 anymore, whatever we're calling it today. From the Ethereum, Ethereum yeah, yeah. blockchain, yeah. right? Yeah, because blocks right. are being, um, they're not mined now. What do you call it? Blocks <laughs> are being uh, <laughs> uh, uh, proposed. Processed, uh, proposed, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, proposed, you know, yeah. and validated, validated. And validated, um, yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Um, that blockchain exists, right? So it's actually there. Your ETH is now on that blockchain. So this whole process is basically a process to move the value from ETH1 to ETH2. Yes, um, that's, that's the right. idea here. Ultimately, yeah. um, you know, at least a lot of it, not all of it, because not everybody wants to, to be involved with staking. You know, some people just want to have money and have it on blockchain. But yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So your two options, 
the the liquid is is the one most people are familiar with, which is you just get a token, you have our ETH, now you know you're earning yield with it. Um, the running the node does that require the user to have any hardware, or you guys do all the the hard work? They just deposit their 16 ETH and you do it for them. No, that's the that's the real difference with with Rocky Pool. So, um, so we rely we, we're a decentralized protocol, so we we don't run any nodes ourselves. Um, we uh, our node operators are they could be anybody. We're a permissionless network, so anybody um, who has you know, 16 ETH can participate in it. Um, they bring their own hardware. Uh, they um, they run, usually a lot of them run it from home, um, which is fantastic for us. That's the gold standard of of the Ethereum network is to have as many people running uh, nodes um, at home themselves. So, uh, yeah, so that's, they they bring the nodes. And we have, I mean, we, we only really released in November. So, um, so we've, I think we had five competitors and now we're number two um, since November. And that's basically due to the fact that we've managed to onboard over 1,100 node operators um, in 84 different uh, geographic regions. Um, and we're, so, you know, they are running at the moment 1.4% of Ethereum validators. So we're definitely growing very, very, very rapidly. Um, and we'd like to kind of keep growing rapidly. So that's we're, we're pushing that hard to keep uh, keep on with that. And what's the incentive for the node operator to run with Rocky Pool versus just running their own node with 32 ETH, assuming they have yeah. 32 ETH? Yeah, great question. So there's a, there's a couple of really um, big benefits. So the first one is that because you only really require 16 ETH, uh, you can actually split your um, funds into two validators rather than one. And that's really important when uh, post-merge because post-merge, um, the more validators you have, the more chance you have of getting block proposals, um, which is basically building a block. Uh, and, the, and each block proposal um, you know, gives you more money. Uh, plus there's also the, because uh, each of them will have transaction fees attached to them um, and also potentially MEV as well. So that's, um, that is kind of quite a big incentive already because you can kind of split them. The other thing is that because you, you, so you, in terms of rewards, you get, sorry, in terms of rewards, you get, uh, um, you get rewarded on your 16 ETH. uh, And so you get the, um, the normal beacon chain rewards for that. But you also get commission on the rewards that you're um, staking on behalf of the pool. So you actually get commission on the 16 ETH that you're um, that you're staking on behalf of the pool. And at the moment, that's 15% commission uh, on the rewards. Um, so that's gotcha. a really great incentive. Also, um, as part of the requirement for um, spinning up a node, you also need this RPL collateral. With the RPL, um, so RPL is our native token and it, um, has like an inflation rate of 5% and 70% of that goes to node operators as kind of like a, an incentive. So RPO is actually used as a, like an insurance promise to the protocol. So if um, if anything really bad happened, uh, we can use it as an, like an insurance um, um, thing to pay out um, to make our ETH holders whole. And so it's like an insurance promise. So the more you um, RPO you stake, the more of our um, inflation you get. Um, and so that's, uh, that's quite a big incentive at the moment because that's about something like 14% um, return on RPL. So okay. they're, they're the, they're the main, they're the main kind of advantages. Okay. Now for those listening who are thinking, wow, this sounds great. I'm going to go set up my nodes, stake my ETH, um, and earn all these rewards. Um, you need to think twice because you need to understand a couple of things about staking. Um, and Darren, you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but yeah. the most important thing is when you run a node and you stake that ETH, that ETH is not coming back to the Ethereum blockchain that you know and love. It's on ETH2 or the new Ethereum 
or whatever the heck we're calling it. I wish it had a name. Now I feel like I'm not supposed to say ETH2. I'm just going to say ETH2 for the rest of this chat. So it's going to be on ETH2 forever. Um, you can't bring it back. Now, the same thing happens when you stake through liquid um, solutions like our ETH or, or um, Lido staked ETH. When you stake your ETH through those solutions, it's also going to ETH2, and you're getting back that tokenized version of the staked ETH. But you have that tokenized version that you can go out and you can swap, you can trade. Um, when you're running your own node, you're not getting that. Am I right? You're not getting a wrapped version of anything. You're just a node operator, and you're not getting a wrapped uh, token that you can swap on ETH1. Yes. So that that is that is definitely true. Um, one of the things to actually, I mean, I, actually, one thing to clarify. So with the liquid staking, um, with our Aris, um, um token, you can, once you have Aris, if you ever want to essentially unstake, what you can do is, uh, you can actually just do that through the Rocket Pool website and get your ETH back. Uh, the reason why we can do that is because we have this deposit pool. Um, and so, um, as long as there's enough liquidity in the deposit pool to cover your ETH, um, uh, we can give you your ETH back. Also, you could also sell it on a, se a secondary market. And so um, that way you can get your ETH back as well. So that's okay. on the liquid staking side. On the node operator side, ex exactly what you said. So withdrawals are not uh, implemented um, for Ethereum yet. And so it is a, a one-way kind of ticket. I guess one of the very subtle subtle things to to note there is there's not really in the future there's not really going to be this ETH one and ETH two um, thing. So currently we have the proof of work chain, and when and the and and a proof of stake chain um, kind of humming along um, side by side. Um, the proof of stake chain is is literally just verifying itself. It's not really doing any. It's not really executing any transactions. The proof of work chain is is obviously executing transactions and it's where all of the activity is at the moment, right? So the only thing that's going to change with the merge is that the proof of work chain is then going to be validating transactions. Okay. So when and then when withdrawals are enabled, that money will end up, you know, in in Ethereum. As you know, so during the merge. Essentially, no one will know. Ho hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, mm. no one will know that the merge has actually happened, and um, because it, the the world that you live in, the Ethereum world you live in, uh, won't be any different um, uh, the the day before the merge to the day after the merge. Um, it'll be exactly the same world. The only real difference is the consensus mechanism underneath has changed, and from a, you know, a normal user's perspective, you you don't see that. From a an, a, a a validator side, um, there's going to be this um, withdrawal mechanism which will enable you to withdraw uh, fully um, and maybe even partially um, your uh, your ETH, and that can come back to when you when you actually deposit, you you set a withdrawal address or a, a, you have a withdrawal signature, and so you can use that to access your funds. And when when withdrawals are enabled, which currently it's scheduled for, so we have we'll have the merge. And then roughly six months afterwards, there'll be another hard fork called um, Shanghai. And that's that's when um, the withdrawals will, will kick in. Okay. Thanks for explaining that. That cleared up a lot for me. Um, so as you're, as you're saying all this, I'm thinking through, you know, most people are familiar now with how staked ETH works as far as um, Lido's token um, and liquid staking there. So I just want to clarify, take a step back. The big difference between what Rocket Pool is doing and what Lido is doing is Lido is taking the ETH from the depositors and they're just running their own nodes. They're running nodes with your ETH if you staked ETH with them and they're running all of the nodes. Do you know how many nodes Lido is running by any chance at this point? I mean, $20 billion worth, it's got to be yeah, they... quite a few nodes. Well, they, oh, actually, I see it here. There's a hundred and five thousand stakers. Uh, st stakers. Um, do you know? Uh, I know they they have. Last time I checked, they have something like fourteen node operators. So fourteen kind of different people that run the nodes for them. 
Okay, right. Yeah, so they've got companies or partners that are running the nodes uh, for them that they're affiliated with. That's and right. so um, the power that comes with running nodes is consolidated with these organizations. Um, and there's a lot of still, I'd say, confusion around what that means, you know, as far, and I don't know really if anybody really knows how it's all going to play out, but I'm interested in your take. Mm-hmm. Um, like we know that Lido doesn't control all of those nodes. Their partners do, but their partners are also like companies, um, their corporate type um, partners of theirs. I'm looking for the list on their website. I know it's here somewhere. They got like, um, uh, uh, chorus and, and consensus and um, figment and, you know, so it's a certus one. So it's, it's, it's large organizations that are, have been staking solutions in the past or they're, you know, like consensus is building um, um, sort of the backbone infrastructure of Ethereum in a lot of ways with um, tr- traditional finance partners. And, you know, so there's a lot of questions around what kind of influence could these organizations have with these these nodes that is being that's being taken away from the people who deposited those funds? Do you do you have any ideas on that? Like what that could mean for proof of stake? Yeah, I mean we we we, we focus very very heavily on uh, decentralization, and the the reason why we do that is because we we feel it's the only real way uh, that. Ethereum can stay credibly neutral. Um, once, once um, if there's consolidation of the essentially the validator set, you get and and we you know we we've spoken to Lido a lot and they're they're lovely guys and all of that sort of thing. But consol- and and you know a lot of everyone in this industry is is really great. But the problem is the consolidation of the validator set is very worrying because um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that could go wrong in that sense. So there's operational issues. So if a large one of these large providers went down, they would take you know a very large proportion of the network with them. Um, so there's definitely operational issues. There's influence issues. Um, there's uh, there's then there's also kind of some grey issues around. Uh, products that you could build on top of having a very large validator set. Um, uh, so there's, there's, there's a, kind of a, a lot of gray um, things that, that could happen there as well. And I'm not saying that any of those people are going to do that, um, but the, the those that consolidation of power is, is not very good. It's not necessarily to the ethos of Ethereum. Ethereum wants to be incredibly neutral um, blockchain. Um, and so the only way you can do that is by decentralizing um, you know this validator set, so that um, you don't have that those those issues. You don't have operational issues. You don't have influence issues. You don't have um, that sort of thing. It's got to got to remain incredibly neutral. Big thanks to the members of the Thorchain community who are sponsoring this episode of Proof of Decentralization. I wanted to give a shout out to something Thorchain is working on that sounds really awesome. I've had a chance to, to dive into the ideas around it a little bit. Uh, haven't been able to actually use it in practice because it's not launched yet, but it's called ThorFi. And essentially what it is, is it's a suite of financial products that they're building on top of ThorChain that's gonna feature the launch of a stable coin. And yeah, you're probably thinking, oh yeah, yet another stable coin. <laughs> but uh, ThorUSD, it's gonna be pegged to USD. And the really cool thing about it is you can get it by providing collateral and taking out a loan. And these are no liquidation loans. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. It didn't work out. Uh, I don't really trust this. But the more I dived into it, the harder it was for me to find problems with it. So um, I encourage you to check it out. I'm not at the point yet where I can say, go and use this as soon as it launches. Uh, but I am at the point for sure where I would say go and read the documentation and get ahead of it, learn about it before it launches so that you can be one of the first to try it if you choose to do so and it fits into your personal risk profile. So you can find information about ThorFi at 
thorchain.org. Click on Getting Started and you'll find the ThorFi section there with a lot of interesting docs and stuff to check out. So it's ThorFi and the address is thorchain.org, Getting Started. Give me some more meat on that gray area. Like what, what kind of products are you talking about that could potentially be built on top of large validator sets? Uh, one of the, th- we went to an MEV, um, we went to, um, uh, ETH Amsterdam, um, a little while ago. One, and we went to an MEV day. One of the, one of the things that was mentioned there is that if a, uh, if somebody with a very large validator set had access to private order flow, then they could, for example, uh, give, um, uh, essentially, essentially you could have privileged actors uh, or customers of a, a particular exchange, for example, having privileged access to the transaction ordering. Um, and that could be quite bad, obviously. <laughs> uh, it, it means it means Ethereum can't remain credibly neutral in, at that point. So that's why we're quite worried about it. Um, that, and that's one of the reasons why we've, um, well, we, we've always been, decentralized at heart because we feel that that's the only way it can stay could be neutral. Right. So this is interesting and, and it goes towards like what you mentioned before about MEV and, and stuff like that. Um, what's there's nothing really stopping this from happening, right? Because we're talking about liquid staking solutions right now, but then you think about exchanges like Coinbase and Binance and these guys that obviously are, offering ETH staking. It's not liquid staking. It's just, well, it's not the same thing. It's, I I don't know if there's a name for it yet, but it's exchange staking. Okay. So you can just deposit your ETH on Coinbase, earn the yield. You don't really know what's going on, but in the background, Coinbase is running nodes and uh, they're running validators and they're um, building up that validator set. So what's stopping an exchange like that from doing exactly what you're saying, just ethics. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's no law against it. Right. I mean, it, it could be market manipulation, I guess, but I mean, mm. it seems like the kind of thing that's inevitable. Uh, well, hopefully not. <laughs> but that's, that's why we're um, quite campaigning quite hard on making sure that uh, Ethereum stays decentralized and trying to provide a, a kind of a credible uh, alternative to um, other forms of staking. I don't see how it's anything but inevitable. I mean, it's it's something that can happen if your validator set becomes large enough, and a, and a, an exchange can easily get up there into into those numbers to be able to make this kind of thing happen. Um, and I'm. I'm pushing on it a little bit because I see what you guys are doing is really important for the space. You know, as a supporter of decentralization in the space, I think that having a solution like yours, um, where you're not running any nodes and where you've, you're working with just regular people who are out there just capable of running nodes. Um, and, and I would assume all of rocket pools nodes are being run by individuals because it, is there a reason that a company would want to come to Rocket Pool and sort of plunge in with a thousand ETH or two thousand ETH and, and try to scale it, or it, would it make more sense for them to to go a different route? So no, there, there is an incentive for companies to do that. One of the things that we're doing though is, uh, so one of the things we're doing, we actually we, we've kind of discussed this quite a lot. And one of the ways that Rocket Pool wants to scale is we don't necessarily want to scale vertically, which is what, you know, which is lots and lots of nodes on, on with one one provider. But we want to be permissionless. And the the tricky the trick there is when you're permissionless, anyone can do what they want uh, on your on your protocol as long as they um, as long as they abide by the rules. So uh, so th- th- we can't necessarily stop uh, organizations doing that. And to a certain degree, we don't want to. So one of the things that we're working towards is nurturing like a whole ecosystem of, of staking services or staking businesses, actually. So we actually want to scale horizontally. So although you may get, you know, a few big 
players coming in and um, and with a, with a lot of nodes, uh, even within the Rocket Pool um, ecosystem, what we want to do is open it up so that it's stupidly easy to start up a staking business on Rocket Pool, so that we get that wide spread of it's just the same as what, what we're doing um, with um, with node operators as well. We've got some larger node operators, but the majority of them we have this massive long tail. And that's that's where the decentralization comes in. You might still get some of those those big players at the at the top end, but you have this massive, massive long tail. Most of our node operators um, operate one mini pool, um, one maybe two mini pools, um, and that, that's the majority of our node operators. So you know you have this big as long as we have that big long tail to kind of balance out, and um, we're kind of comfortable um, with that. Okay. Yeah, while you were talking, I just happened to click on All Nodes, and All Nodes is offering um, Rocket. They're a Lido validator, right? So they're running nodes for Lido, but they're also offering Rocket Pool mini pools. Yeah, that's um, right. They have a whole platform built on top of Rocket Pool. Okay, so some of these guys are doing both. So it's it's interesting to see um, how it develops. I mean, I, I think that the real key, the key difference, obviously, between Rocket Pool and Lido is Rocket Pool's not running any nodes. Rocket Pool's not trying to do anything other than sort of match up um, liquid stakers with full node operators, right? That's basically That's right. The, yep. the business. Yeah. Um, and using using a an interesting system to incentivize it, um, whereas Lido is just accumulating ETH. Uh, assigning nodes to these validators and growing the um, the validator sets, not beneath individuals that are running full nodes, but beneath these large organizations that are doing it on their behalf. Yeah. Um, and they just hit $20 billion worth of ETH and they were celebrating it. And um, I noticed that on Twitter um, yesterday. You know, and it sort of raised... I was really happy we were having this conversation right after that um, because I saw Kobe on Twitter sort of celebrating, hey, we just hit 20 billion ETH. This is awesome. And my feedback to that was, well, what's the, what is the real objective of Lido here? Like, is the objective just to suck up all of the ETH? Like, is it just to have all of the ETH under Lido's control? You know, where, where, um, there's basically nothing left. Like, what are we trying to do here? I mean, obviously that would never happen. We never get to a hundred percent of ETH, but when you have such a large amount, such a big percentage of all ETH of all of the currency of, of Ethereum um, under the control. Um, and it's not like part of it's under a legacy multi-sig, I think. And then um, most of it is under Dow control. Um, if you want to call it that, but when you have that amount under a centralized party um, that is then delegating it to other centralized parties, you're sort of creating this, this world where um, we're just building up corporations and we're building up um, large organizations. And we're taking power away from individuals. And I see rocket pool is trying to, to push back against that. Is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. I mean, which we, we try not to, um uh bash lido too much <laughs> um but we um i'm just yes, being honest we, we, man no 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 we, we it's so like we we try we try to run our run our own game but it's it's it, but it, exactly exactly that i think the the idea is that the way that we feel is that participation and kind of out decentralizing is the only way that ethereum's going to win so uh you know we believe that you know Ethereum staking should be available to everybody. We want to bring those barrier of entry um, down. And that's the way that we feel that Ethereum should grow is through participation, um, ideally by home stakers. And so that's where we've put um, a lot of our time you know, into into doing so, so that everybody can kind of participate. So one of the things we're trying to work on is reducing the collateral requirements so that you know, more people can get into running a node. Um, but yeah, that's that's the sort of thing we're doing. Why should a liquid staker stake with Rocket Pool and not with Lido? The main the main reason is uh, because we're a decentralized um, protocol. 
um, rather than we're bit kind of, I guess, more health or healthier for the network. That's the that's the main main difference. Actually, the other difference is is a is more of a technical one um, or a financial one. So, uh, so Lido's um, uh, liquid staking token STETH is um, what's known as a rebasing token. So the rebasing token means that um, as you earn your rewards, your quantity of that token goes up. Okay. Um, so it's actually it actually pegs to 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 ETH, but your quantity goes up. With um, but there there is a there is an issue with that in the sense that from a um, jurisdiction tax jurisdiction perspective, um, in some jurisdictions that can be quite inconvenient because it means that um, every um, I'm not quite sure how often it updates, but every day uh, you you get this increase in 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 the yield. And so you're essentially having to pay that in terms of tax and often in terms of income or, or CGT or whatever. So, uh, but with with ETH, we've designed it um, slightly differently. So with ETH, it actually is exchange rate based rather than um, rather than quantity. So when you um, when you get ETH, let's say you bought ETH on day one, the protocol was launched. Uh, ETH would be the same as, as ETH. It would be one-to-one. As um, time goes on, uh, ETH actually gets um, kind of actually grows in value um, against ETH. So it actually goes up in value against ETH. So effectively what that means is if you um, if you buy it today or if you, you get it off the website and you, you mint, mint it today, and then you you wait a period of time that your number your quantity of ETH doesn't change, but the value against ETH does. So then when you um, swap it back later on, you essentially get more ETH um, than what you you paid. Um, and in that sense, you only have two events. You have an event when you swap it from ETH to ETH, and an event when you go from ETH to ETH. Um, and so you don't have the 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 kind of constant. Um, updates of the quantity to manage in terms of your tax reporting and all of this sort of stuff. Gotcha. And and didn't Lido recently s- solve this with a wrapped staked ETH? It's kind of they, a similar concept. Yeah, they have a they have kind of a wrapped staked ETH as well, which does a very similar thing. Okay. Which, you know, the wrapped staked ETH idea, which basically does what you just said, where it's a constant... Uh, you know, if you stake in DeFi, you're familiar with these kind of tokens where they um, they have a static value, but that value is constantly increasing. Um, so you can have have one token that's worth one, and then you know tomorrow that one token will be worth one point one or one point two, um, as opposed to your actual number of tokens going up, like Darren just said. Um, but when they launched Wrap Stake ETH, the utility of staked ETH went through the roof, right? Because like you said, it, staked ETH is not just unwieldy for taxes, but also in DeFi in general, yeah. um, you know, yeah. when it's sitting in liquidity pools and when it's, you know, being used as collateral and, and stuff like that. Um, so right away, you know, um, and plus wrap staked ETH now could be used as, as uh, collateral, like on curve with the, the, uh, Rocket pool on curve, uh, which uh, where you can stake yeah. rocket uh, R ETH versus wrap staked ETH. Um, why do you think the um, when when Lido launched wrap staked ETH? Why did they instantly get all the traction they got? Why wasn't Rocket ETH or R ETH looked at as an option for a lot of these DeFi protocols in that so- way? So we because we we only really launched in November, mm-hmm. um, it's taken us a little while to. Well, so there's actually two reasons. So the first reason is we only really launched in November, um, and the way that we scale obviously is different to Lido. As as we've said, they can they can scale um, by just turning on more validators, whereas we have to scale by getting more node operators, which is you know a harder thing to do. Um, so uh, we are growing slower. Um, will we be as big? Highly likely, but will it, will it take us longer to get there? Um, probably. Um, but the benefit is the benefit is it's more sustainable from the the kind of networks perspective. So that that's that's definitely that. In terms of um, DeFi integrations, 
So as said, it's taken a while for us to build up that liquidity. So it's kind of like a pyramid. You have to kind of start off with like um, the the base of any um, protocol really is liquidity. So you have to build up your liquidity. Um, and once your liquidity hits a certain point, um, so you have to get into liquidity uh, platform. So you know, make sure you're on uh, Uniswap, get some LPs, uh, Balancer. We're on Balancer, uh, Bancor, and now on Curve. We're also on L2s as well. So if you want to get our ETH with lower fees, we're on L2s as well. So we, we, we you know, we our main focus at first was getting this liquidity base. We're now at a point where uh, we're a good liquidity base, and that's what's needed to move to the next level. And the next level are lending platforms because lending platforms need a certain amount of liquidity for liquidations. So you have to kind of work on your liquidity first, and then you can move on to debt markets. And so that that's where we are today, and that's um, that's what we're working on at the moment is getting into those um, um, debt markets so that they can uh, so that you can essentially. Um, uh, use your ARETH as collateral and and get things like uh, DAI or you know whatever you you want to um, uh, borrow. Um, once okay. you once once you're on debt markets, you then uh, the next the the final or final but pretty much the final um, top of the pyramid is are things like yield farms and um, and that sort of, and, and yield strategies and that sort of thing. So. Once you have those, that, that that kind of stack, you're kind of working your way progressively up that stack. So we, we de- we're definitely in in there, and we're we're kind of progressing up that stack quite quickly. Are you so? Are you running into any friction, or do you feel like it's going pretty well for you as far as getting adoption? Uh, I think building our liquidity positions um, as, uh, was not challenging, but it was certainly we needed to kind of get to that point of. A tipping point um, for that, um, but no, we're not. We're not finding any any issues now. No, everything's kind of flying quite nicely. Um, so we're uh, we're talking to um, a lot of projects um, about how we um, integrate our ETH into. I mean, we've already integrated into a lot of wallets and, and that sort of thing. Um, uh, it's more about you know building those the debt markets now, which we're having conversations on a daily basis. Okay, so you mentioned before that the the really the only reason um that somebody would distinguish between our eth and staked eth is because our eth is a decentralized option um when you stake your eth there it's not going under a large corporate umbrella of some kind it's going into a, a node with a node operator who's also working through the platform um, who um, odds are is an individual, um, and then uh, you know on the flip side with stake D opposite where it's going under some other type of system where it could be you know helping to build centralization in the space. But do you feel like um, what what makes you think that that I'm I'm very cynical about um, the commitment that people that the that the Ethereum community has to real decentralization um, because, you know, I've been here for a few years and I've seen a trend towards um, centralization in a lot of different ways, you know, ranging from governance of, of DeFi applications to proof of stake. Um, I have pretty strong feelings about proof of work versus proof of stake, which we don't need to get into here, but I see it as a move towards a a centralizing force in a way. Um, You know, I watch organizations like Consensus um, who run MetaMask, who run Infura, who run, you know, all of these backbone sort of applications um, that keep Ethereum humming along. Um, And they're partnering with MasterCard and they're partnering with JP Morgan and they're running Lido nodes, you know? And so you see all this stuff sort of happening and there's so many more examples. Um, and people more and more are okay with it. So what is it that that you guys think is really gonna get you to the same size as a, as a slick, efficient, centralized staking solution like Lido uh, with your sort of, um, more difficult to run, um, you know, more um, 
I don't want to call it clunky, but just it's less smooth because that's what decentralization is, right? Decentralization is always less efficient and it's always harder to use and it's always more difficult to run. So what makes you so sure that you can reach the same level of success that you think that they're going to reach? So I think one thing to clarify there is that um, the only difference um, between us and any other staking provider is, is the way we scale. So every, everything else about it um, is pretty much the same. We can, uh, we can still be as slick and as, an, as, an, as effective and as efficient. The only difference is that the way that we scale is, is different. So that, that is a, it is a, a key point. The, the reason what's going to get us there is by lowering the collateral level um, that we need to run a node that's going to um, help um, bring on uh, these kind of uh, building this, this ecosystem of staking as a service providers um, that, you know, provide capacity, um, but in a horizontally scalable way. Um, those are, those are the things um, that are going to kind of drive us. The other, the other thing is that when withdrawals are enabled, there are thousands and thousands of solo stakers. We, we speak to solo stakers all, all of the time. And they are just itching to jump over into Rocket Pool um, because they're running 32 ETH um, validators um, since Genesis. They are pretty much since Genesis. They uh, see Rocket Pool and they go, wow, I can have two validators and I get more yield um, from it. Anyway, it's kind of a no-brainer um, for us to jump over. So there are thousands and thousands of, of validators or solo stakers that are, are looking at that as well. So we've got these kind of like three waves of or three opportunities to um, increase our scale um, by orders of magnitude, and it is. And we're already growing. I mean, we've already grown massively even in the last um, little while. But th those three things will kind of help us in the long term. We've also got things like potentially like DVT um, could help us out as well. So there's there's a lot kind of on the horizon um, to help us out there. I think. I, I speak to people a lot, and decentralization is is top of mind for a lot of these people. Um, there is a strong. Um, I think the problem with decentralization is it's like kind of public health. You uh, unless something goes wrong, you don't know it exists. <laughs> hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. it's it's um, uh, until something really bad happens, uh, and you go ah ah. If I, <laughs> that's yeah. why that's why you need that's why you need decentralization ah so um mm -hmm. but i think some some level of centralization is is is, is inevitable I, I i kind of agree with that um the only real difference here is we feel that we feel that we, we believe in like the permissionless nature um and uh increasing the participation proof of stake is really powerful in the sense that the more people that participate, the bigger the security benefit. That's that's a real key thing about proof of stake, um, and so that's that's a, um, a thing for us is that the more that people participate, the more decentralized it is. The more um, you know, the, as a counterbalance, we can give to centralization. Um, the and the more secure Ethereum is, and the more credibly neutral um, it is. So I think it's it's really important that. You know, we we increase the participation of Ethereum staking, um, so that it's it's more secure and 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 credibly neutral. Okay, yeah, I mean, you make some some really great points. I guess the part I stay cynical about is if Rocket Pool really is the decentralized solution and it allows people to to stake with small amounts of ETH, plus it um, it provides more unique parties, uh, opportunities to run nodes and run validators. Um, and it really has that, that philosophy of decentralization. Then why isn't it getting more support from the community? Like, because Lido and I keep bringing it up because they're, no, they're out there, they're number one, they're $20 billion because they're the opposite. In my opinion, like they have not shown any commitment to decentralization and this is not me bashing them. This is just me being straightforward. You can tell me if you disagree. But from what I see, their goal is just to suck up as much of this as possible. And there's really 
no, um, like I look at what they've accrued and I wonder, well, at some point, do you have a, a moral obligation to just stop collecting ETH? It wouldn't be an issue with Rocket Pool as much because you guys have so many unique parties running nodes. But when you've got like 30 um, companies or whatever it is running your validators, um, and each one has such a huge chunk of ETH that they're working with, um, at some point, don't you have to either multiply that by magnitudes or just stop sucking up the ETH or admit that you're just working towards a centralized future? Like that's where I don't understand why more people aren't looking at Rocket Pool as an option. Is it just awareness? Maybe people just don't know about this issue. What do you think? I think the fact that we kind of released in November and it's, and we're kind of getting that traction uh, is has kind of slowed us down a little bit. Oh, but we are, I, I can tell you now, we are <laughs> uh, we are seeing massive amounts of adoption for for our ETH. Uh, so more than more than we can um, we can actually uh, satisfy. So that's that's the reason why okay. we're having a big a big push for more node operators. So we're, we're um, you know, setting up awareness campaigns around, you know, how profitable it is for a beer node operator. We, the fact that the merge is going to um, double, if not triple the, um, the yield you'll be getting as a node operator, you know, all of these things are really uh, kind of the messages that we're putting out at the moment so that we can build that supply. Um, so, and so that we can service more um, in terms of our ETH. Our deposit pool has like a cap um, on it, and it, it's just smashing the cap. Um, we have people flashbotting um, to make sure that they get their ARETH. So hmm. it's it, we've got a huge amount of demand at the moment, and it's it, it's not really going to slow down. I don't think um, we just need to satisfy that that demand, that supply. Um, and so yeah, so that's where we've we've got those kind of um, initiatives to to drive that. Um, drive the supply so that we can be that um, that credible alternative. So you're you're capping deposits based on the number of node operators that you have. Uh, what we do is um, we have like a, a deposit pool um, limit, and uh, as the deposit pool as as you um, kind of deposit into the deposit pool, it gets matched with node operators. But if there's not enough node operators to take the deposits, the deposit pool starts filling up. And we have a limit on on how far that gets before it stops. Um, We stop taking deposits, um, mainly so that we don't, um, uh, because the the more, that ETH is actually not working for the protocol, which means that our ETH um, uh, yield can go down if, if it gets too high. So that's why we cap it. So that we we don't do that, so that we give the best return for our ETH holders. Um, so yeah, okay. so that that kind of caps. So and we're bringing your node operators. Node operators um, are coming along and spinning up mini pools, but it's just sucking out the um, the, the ETH from the deposit pool, and then people are just flashbotting the deposit pool to get more our ETH. So um, yeah, so it, it's very very okay. popular. So this and there's a big there's a big push across the community now. Um, uh, to raise awareness of 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 ARETH and the, and its benefits for Ethereum as a whole, so yeah, it's definitely getting out there now. Um, we're just working on that the node operator supply so that we can manage it. So the problems you're describing are unique to the way Rocket Pool operates versus Lido, whereas it, Lido doesn't have to cap deposits um, because a they don't have a deposit pool where you can withdraw from. Right. Once you stake with Lido, it's staked. There's no unstaking. You can sell your token, your staked ETH token, but you can't unstake the ETH. And then number two, they don't have to worry about node operators because they've got these companies that can just spin up hundreds or thousands. Like they don't have to worry about bringing on more node operators um, like Rocket Pool has to do. Rocket Pool's not out there. I mean, you said you're working with like, like, um, all nodes and stuff like that. Like as far as like trying to encourage them to build businesses um, that use rocket pool, but you're not out there trying to source large validator farms, um, you know, or companies that can run them um, on your behalf. Right. So, and you're definitely not custodying the, the ETH. So um, that's what I was getting at before when I said like, 
decentralization is always harder. You know, it's always more difficult. And people lose sight of that a lot. People, it's just like human, um, it's just the way humans are to, to look for the cheaper, faster, slicker, more central, ultimately more centralized option. You know, we see this over and over and over in crypto and in DeFi. And they lose sight of the fact that usually, almost always, the easier, the cheaper, the faster, the cleaner, whatever it is, the more centralized it is until ultimately you end up with like PayPal again and you're right back where you started, you know, and yeah. um, it's like comparing Bitcoin to to Stripe or something like that, you know, as payment systems, you know, it's Bitcoin is dirty, takes 10 minutes to process a block. I mean, it's expensive. It's, you know, it's all these things, but it's decentralized and decentralization has a cost and it has a cost for you guys too. Um, I was just looking at the numbers and saw um, you guys hit um, a million. Oh, yeah, you hit a million in November when you launched, and then you peaked out around uh, seven or eight hundred million in TVL in ETH. That's around two hundred and twenty-five thousand ETH um, versus where Lido's at. Oh, I just had it and I lost it. But um, they're they're up around eighteen or nineteen billion. Dollars yeah. worth of ease. I mean, they they had an eighteen month head start on us, but <laughs> right. as well, yeah, right. So there, there is that to take into consideration. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, has Rocket Pool raised capital as a company? Uh, no. So we raised product. We had an ICO back in two thousand seventeen, um, and so that's we kind of raised capital there. Um, in terms of our kind of. PC. No, we haven't taken the only the only money that we've taken is um, I think is on our website's consensus. Um, uh, that one that was kind of like a small investment in uh, in Rogapool. Um, so no, we haven't taken any VC money. And um, we uh, we're kind of as I said a decentralized protocol. Um, we don't really need um, we don't really need funding. Um. Well, I mean, you don't need funding. Like that's that's so rare to hear um, from a startup in the space. <laughs> it's like, I, well, I mean, never, we'll ne- never say, we'll never, never say never. But uh, uh-huh. at this at this stage, we're we're perfectly fine. So um, yeah, I mean, we the the the, the whole idea of Rocket Pool um, was to be a decentralized protocol. Um, we've we as I said, we did the ICO back in two thousand seventeen. We've been perfectly fine um, with our runway um, since. We've stayed quite small. Like the team is is very very small. We are growing our team because it's just ridiculous how much work we've got. Um, but we are still a very small team. Um, and uh, but the uh, the aim really is that because it's a protocol, we stay out of. We try to stay out of the way of the um, uh, of the actual kind of work that the protocol does. So, for example, you know. We don't rent seek, so there's no like commission that, that gets paid to Rocket Pool. Um, uh, so that fifteen percent goes directly to uh, node operators. Um, so you know it, we, we don't get in the way of that. Um, there's a few mm-hmm. ways that we, we we do make money. Um, we're part of this um, Oracle DAO, which is part of a governance structure, um, and that earns um, some of our RPO inflation. Um, but yeah, that, that's, we haven't kind of needed to take any more funds. As I said, never so, say never, but we, ha- we haven't needed so far. So that's where Rocket Pool makes money is through inflation of the token? Uh, yes. Uh, plus okay. we have a kind of a, a dev wallet, which was um, from the from the ICO. Okay. And you guys get, you have a company, right? Yeah. Okay. But there's um, just two separate things. There's Rocket Pool, the protocol, and Rocket Pool, the company. Um mm-hmm. And we tried to keep those two two things um, quite separate. Uh, so um, I hate to do it again, but to compare to Lido, um, they've raised a lot of capital. Um, include I don't have the total, but I know just from Andreessen Horowitz, I believe they raised seventy million. Um, what do you think? is the difference there that's driving this desire to scale in that way to raise, you know, 70, a hundred million plus dollars in capital to grow a company, to grow an organization. Like what, 
if you guys are operating on on a shoestring and you're coming up on a billion um, and they're at 20 billion and they've raised all this money, what what's the big philosophical difference there? What do you think they're trying to achieve or to prove with that? So I can only speak for <laughs> our intent, uh, but our in, our intent is that um, when you when you when you take money, often it comes at a cost. It comes at a, a cost of uh, you're no longer in full control of uh, your the vision, um, and because you you have to kind of answer to the money, and that was that's been we've, that's been a very conscious um, decision for us. Um, we haven't, we obviously we get approached quite a bit, um, but we haven't really taken the money because we, um, we want to stay in complete control of the vision. I love it. I love hearing it. <laughs> You're my kind of guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I completely agree. Just as someone who's worked in, in startups and, you know, with, with venture capital and, been in that position before and and people who haven't worked in that environment don't fully understand the pressure that comes from raising capital especially that amount and especially from a firm like Andreessen um, who's already entrenched in the space and who has some major major interests in um, a lot of different parts of the DeFi space and when I saw that Lido raised 70 million from Andreessen, it just made me even more cynical about what the intentions were there um, and what kind of impact Andreessen um, is going to have on um, on what they're doing, you know? And I've picked a lot of fights with Andreessen. They're one-sided fights because they never answer me. But I mean, as far as their role, the role they played in DeFi governance um, and in sort of um, creating these situations in governance and with a lot of different applications where they're just, they're proposing, they're voting and it, it's all, it's unilateral, you know, as far as like the decision-making that happens ranging from small things all the way up to like massive things like the DeFi education fund where like tens of millions of dollars go into this legal slush fund that has committee members that were chosen by Andreessen um, to, to literally determine the future of DeFi regulation which is nuts to me. Nobody still um, really seems to care about that. But now, you know, with a major investment in a liquid staking company, um, it just, to me, it's so, the, the difference is so clear, you know, as far as the direction that Lido wants to take things. And again, this is not a personal attack. They're, I'm sure they're nice people. Great. But they're, we're talking about two different companies here with two different visions. Lido doesn't seem to really care about decentralization um, is fine with just sucking it all up, working with corporations, you know, working with Andreessen's of the world and to sort of think in a more centralized way as far as the future of Ethereum. Whereas rocket pool is sacrificing a lot. It sounds like to try to ensure that there is some aspect of the future of Ethereum that stays decentralized, which I think is super admirable. And like I said, it's always going to be harder it's never going to be as 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 popular as the more centralized options, but it's so important if we want to have any part of Ethereum that stays um, organically decentralized. And I think that you guys came up with a really interesting solution. Um, so I hope I hope it achieves what you yeah, wanted think, to achieve. Go ahead. Yeah, we've always we, we've always been very uh, long term focused, and so you know even. As, as I said before, uh, it may well take us longer to get to um, this, you know, this, this same size, um, although we are working on that to kind of um, shortcut that as much as possible. But it may take us longer to get to that point. But ultimately, it, we're, um, Ethereum will be in a better position for it. So that's that's the reason um, why we're kind of going down that route. Um, but as I said, there's lots of things on the horizon that um, that means that we can compete. Um, uh, very closely with Lido and so uh, yeah so that we're, we're very very um, excited about the future that's great well you can check it out rocketpool.net and that's where you can do liquid staking you you can look into running a node um, read if you do want to go down the road like I said of running a, a node with rocket pool you want to make sure you're really familiar with how things work 
Um, otherwise, stick to the liquid staking if you don't want to get into the nitty gritty of things. But um, they got a lot of good um, explainers and guides on their website. I would, I would highly recommend uh, if they're interested to jump into our Discord. Uh, we have a, a huge uh, and really passionate um, community in Discord, and they have literally coached people from zero to to running their own node. So. Um, they're a really knowledgeable bunch of people and really kind of fun. So yeah, jump, jump into Discord is, is definitely the, the way to go. We also have a test net, so you can actually play around with fake ETH if, um, to just make sure that you're comfortable. And that's that's um, you know, that's that's all the information is there as well. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Darren. Thanks for joining the podcast. Appreciate it. Good luck with Rocket Pool. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been fun.